Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. This is going to be huge. Welcome. You are locked on the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the editor of Smoking Cuban. What you got for me, Isaac? I got for me, we got for you one of the greatest comebacks of NBA history. Mavs win, Mavs win. We are talking about game two of the 2011 NBA Finals on our Finals Flashback Week. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about game two. It's the comeback. We talked about game one yesterday. We talked about the preview. We previewed the series before that. Go back and listen to those sequentially and just get pumped because this is your Mavericks at their peak. And later in the pod, we're going to be talking to the voice of your Mavericks for a long time, Chuck Cooperstein, the man who talked to me about the Mavs, you know, fending off a super team. He talked about, you know, where the Mavs were, their mindset, what the plane was like at the time, you know, flying back and forth. He just talked about the comeback. We talked about this. So listen to, you know, stay to the end of the episode. We'll be talking to Coop. It's good stuff. But all right, this game, Dallas is down 0-1 to games against the Miami Heat, and they're in Miami at the American Airlines Center. Arena. Is American it, Airlines Arena. Is it yeah. Arena? It is Arena. I thought they were the same thing. Okay. So it's still, still, Ameri- still American Airlines. Still American Airlines. Uh, starters in this game were the same. Kid, Deshaun Stevenson, who we talked to yesterday. Go back and listen to that podcast if you didn't. We talked to Deshaun Stevenson. He was awesome. We uh, <laughs> Deshaun Stevenson, my favorite question that – my favorite answer from him, I asked him, what do you remember about the celebration after game six? You should go back and listen to it. It was really funny. I, I laughed. Kid, Deshaun Stevenson, the man, Sean Marion, Dirk Nowitzki, Tyson Chandler, and then for the Heat, Bibby, Wade, LeBron, Bosch, and Joel Anthony. Mike Bibby still still standing strong in that starting lineup. Oh, Mike Bibby. I had a guy that I used to play pickup basketball with back in the day that used to argue that he was better than Jason Kidd. I'm like like at that point in his when was that? <laughs> not yeah, not in this at any point. There was never a point in Mike Bibby's career he was better than Jason Kidd. Oh, that Mike I thought you meant that your friend said he was better than Jason Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no at, at no point was Mike Bibby better than Jason Kidd. No, never. Especially, yeah, they, <laughs> especially not even now when Bibby is thirty three and Kid was thirty seven. Not even now. No, not even now at all. I mean, now in two thousand eleven, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about everything in the in the sense of two thousand eleven. We need to look up like what song was the hottest at then. It was like Genie in a Bottle, or is that <laughs> that was probably before two thousand eleven? Two thousand eleven was like. I'm a genie in a bottle. No, baby. stop. No, 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 no. <laughs> The Black Eyed Peas or something, uh, I don't know. This oh was gosh. the game where we realized that Dirk had the injury on his hand and uh, on his finger. Uh, we tore, tore a tendon in game one. Yeah. 
And Smacking at the ball. Didn't really know it. And then all of a sudden he came out. He was shooting with a splint. He was trying it out. They had to try all these different splints to try to figure out which one he could still feel the ball. Because with Dirk, it's all about touch. You know, Dirk isn't one of those guys who just chucks the ball up. And, you know, like, I love Matrix. I love the Matrix. Love Sean Marion. Great player. I put him on my all Mavericks team. Guy, did, he's not really about touch. <laughs> it's not really all about touch there. But with Dirk, it's all about touch. He's got to be able to feel the ball the right way. He's got to feel the grooves of the basketball. Got to feel, you know, just the little things, the details with Dirk. Dirk is a big man, but he is about details and tiny things, like moving his feet the right way and, you know, doing the exact movement with his, you know, his elbow and, you know, everything like that with his fingers, you know, exact placement and everything. Watch Dirk shoot. Watch the way that his hand underneath the ball. Watch the way his left hand. Watch this, the high release point. I mean, gosh, this guy is – every time I watch him, it's like watching a dude just – plan out how to destroy somebody <laughs> the only you. touch Mar- marion had touched like around the rim he had these little like one-handed kind of push jump shots yeah but even a- those are not like finger rolls like really finesse he, he ran up to the basket and we, we see it in this game a couple times where he, you know he throws it up there and yeah he did, did, did have a floater game but <laughs> not like super finesse no especially watching his jumper so in the beginning of the game, Mike Breen asked Mark Jackson, the, the announcers of this game, which was the, the, the announcers we've seen the last, you know, forever for the finals, Breen, Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. Breen asked, do you go after him? Do you go after Dirk? Do you go after the injury? Is that something yeah. you, you want to go after? Mark Jackson said, Isaac, do you remember what Mark Jackson said? Uh, I don't remember what he said. No, I don't like Mark Jackson. He said, absolutely. Hands down, man down. Uh, oh, my gosh. No, he said he just said, Absolutely. I am 100% against that. And I know it's the finals, but just morally for me. Wait, wait, wait. You're against like going against them when they're injured? I'm against going after somebody when they're injured in the sense oh, that – heck no. In the sense that you go for their in, their injury, like you, you poke at the hand, you, you hit the hand, you like try to injure them more. Yeah. I'm going for it. I mean, I'm not – like here's the thing. You're playing. Like if it's bad – don't play. I'm like if they're holding the ball and I gotta foul him, I'm hitting that hand. I'm there if you're like ju- if you just don't even think about it and you hit it, you know, where you're just like you're not trying to avoid hitting it, right? Like I don't think that you should you should look at Dirk's finger and be like, okay, well I'm gonna try to avoid, you know, I'm gonna try to grab this rebound around his hands. Like no, I'm not about that. Like sure, you play you play your game. You don't worry about his injury and stuff. But to maliciously like go after somebody, like to Tanya Harding somebody and to go after him. I'm just I'm not about that, and maybe I'm maybe bad. I believe in you know in sports karma too much. I don't believe in karma in anywhere else in life, but I'm, <laughs> but I believe it in sports. Now <laughs> I think it like I think there's dirty plays for sure, like going after somebody's knees, you know, on a, a like yeah, that's what, what dirty. What makes a like, knee different than a finger? Because <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> or like if somebody's going up for a dunk and you take out their feet and they can like something that can severely injure them, but if they have an injury on their body that they're like just playing through oh i'm going at it i mean i'm gonna punch it anytime you're running through the screen i'm elbowing it because i mean a finger's not going to end your career and so like something like that i'm going after because say anything that, that's say career- that about former mr met <laughs> he flicked off he flicked off a fan and he got fired a finger okay, well, did that- end that guy's career <laughs> in that sense for sure <laughs> But if it's not, I mean, if it's career ending, then they're not going to be out there. So my thought process is if you have an injury and you're playing, playing through it, 
and I can gain an advantage over you by kind of nicking it here and there, sign me up. I'm doing that. See, I could understand if you're like forcing him left, you know, try to try to use the left hand, try to, you know, go like if it's a leg or something, try to go that way, try to jump off that leg, but to try to injure somebody, I'm just I'm just not there. But so well, it didn't work for him. Yeah, no, it did not work. They went after it. They tried to. You could tell a couple times they were, you know, they were going for it. And this game again was another real close one. They were tied at twenty-eight after the first, and it was nice to see some offense <laughs> being played yeah. in this series because the first game was just, you know, a slog almost going through it. Uh, and this was an interesting lineup that we saw at the end of the first. We saw the the uh, Heat play it was Mario Chalmers, Mike Miller, LeBron, Udonis Haslam, and Joel Embiid. LeBron in the scrubs. <laughs> you said Joel Embiid. Dang That's it. awesome. Oh, was Joel Embiid ever? Was he alive? Dude, let's see. He is. No. He. Yeah. yeah. He's like. Yeah. Yeah. I was he would have been. He was in, probably in like middle school or something. Middle school if AAUs. He, he would have been like in, he, <laughs> in under 15s. <laughs> if he was in the states. Gosh, I know I was gonna do that. Yeah. Joel Anthony. Sorry, but what That's a lineup awesome. that is. <laughs> Mario Chalmers, Mike Miller, Udonis Haslam, Joel Anthony, and LeBron. Jeez. That's trash. What other player what other player in history could have that lineup and survive in the NBA Finals against any team? LeBron? Durant. Dirk. You'd say Durant would? I think he could. Dirk? I mean, it depends on what you mean by survive. I mean. Gosh. I you, I, you have to make those guys so much better to be able to do that. Because none yeah. of those guys are getting a basket by themselves. So it's got to be a guy like, like – I think Magic and Bird could both play with those guys for sure. But I don't know if you're playing Kareem with those guys and it would <laughs> go no. well, you know? Somebody's got to get Kareem the ball. <laughs> yeah, and Rio's not throwing an entry pass that Kareem can get. No. Then uh, <laughs> Doris Burke interviewed Carlisle after the uh, – the first quarter, you know, the time in between first quarter. And she said, in an ideal world, what would you take away from LeBron? <laughs> and Carlisle just, like, laughed and chuckled to himself. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious because that's such a Carlisle response to just be like, well. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, he said a typical Carlisle answer. Like, can't really take a ton away from him. He's trying to, you know, contain him, whatever. But I just thought that was a funny response from him. And then we had uh, J.J. Barea showing his stripes. A little tussle with Mike Miller, just going after, going after a loose ball. They're going they got back teed and up, forth. Didn't they? Yeah, I got teed up, and I just wrote, "Berea isn't scared of anybody." Like <laughs> Berea never, never has been. He just goes. And he he you know it's just a few series ago he got the clothesline by Bynum. Oh, we forgot we forgot to mention that in the preview. That that gif will live forever. Yeah, it will. But then the second half happened. Well, yeah. So. uh I also noted that there were seven minutes and 22 seconds left Miami in the, in the second quarter, and Miami still had not taken a free throw. So be that, you know, say whatever you want with that, but they were not getting to the line at all. And then D-Wade went on this run. He went on this personal run where they started to come back. Uh, and LeBron and Wade made just some really tough shots. And I think that was that's one of the big things about this whole series was that LeBron and Wade, when they were hitting shots, they were like amazing shots. You you were just amazed by what they could do. You know, the English off the backboard, the way that they got in the lane, you know, the, the way that they had to contort their body. And eventually that luck just sort of ran out. You know, they they are they were excellent, you know, great MVP level players at that point in their career, and one of them still is. But 
they were just hitting such tough shots. And eventually, you're not going to be able to hit all of them. You know, the, the averages are going to even out eventually. And I think that's sort of what happened towards the end of the series. But in this in this game, they were still hitting them. And, man, and Dallas hasn't had an easy – didn't get an easy shot so far. And, and neither team really did. Like, the defenses were just smothering. These are two teams that were, you know, very highly rated defensively. Um, so yeah. we hit we hit halftime. It's tied at 51. And uh, Miami had gone on a 9-0 run to end halftime. And uh, what I wrote, Wade took shot and curried to the other end. What does curried mean? Hurried. He ran really thick? No. <laughs> he hurried? He curried? Of, I don't know what I meant there. but I, A mixture uh, of scurried and hurried. Scur- curried? But I capitalized the C, so I had to mean something. I don't remember. So, yeah, Miami was not taking care of the ball. Or Mavs were not taking care of the ball. The Heat were getting fast breaks. And uh, it was tied, but it just seemed so much in the Heat's favor at that point. Yeah, cause just because they made that run, and you just felt like it was in Miami, the crowd was into it, and you're yeah. just like, crap. Like, you know, you're still confident. I mean, it's still tied, but you go into the third quarter, and you're like, okay, Dallas has really got to come out strong in the third quarter, and you just can't you can't go down. You can't get get down by a lot. You know, it's game two. You can't go back to Dallas down 0-2, but you can't no. come out in the second half in Miami with this team that, you know, gets out and runs and you got those new stars, you can't get down by a lot, you know, in Miami's home arena. And they did. <laughs> and they did. Uh, we got a Karan Butler shout out by Jeff Van Gundy. They went through all the injured players and Brandon Haywood also was injured in this game and was not playing. Oh, poor Haywood. Or was it this game or was it the next game? Dang. I think he played in this game. It was the next game. We got a Karan Butler shout-out and a Roddy B shout-out. <laughs> shout-out to Roddy, Roddy B. Roddy he was, B. He was there. He got a shout-out. Then, uh, you know, still going back and forth. Marion, it, in the third quarter, there was 5 minutes, 33 seconds left. He had 16 points. So he was coming up big in this game. And then yeah. the man, Brian Cardinal, the custodian. <laughs> he had played. He goes into a finals game. Brian Cardinal, the custodian. When he walked out there, and I, I I remember Brian Cardinal. I know who Brian Cardinal was. You know, it's not like I was, you know, not like he walked out on the court and I watched it and said, what the hell? Who is this guy? You know, he's just this unknown yeah. player. Like, I knew who he was. But watching him on the court, <laughs> he just looked like he had no business being out there. Try to explain the Brian Cardinal thing to me and the listeners that just were like, what was up with Brian Cardinal playing? Because he had played only seven minutes. In four total playoff games, the that entire playoff run until the know, finals. I mean, that's just what Carlisle does. I mean, he just like we even saw it last year. Dirk goes out, and who does he start in place of Dirk? The undrafted guy who like was on the roster bubble in Dorian Finney-Smith. And you're like, <laughs> why? Why is Carlisle starting Dorian Finney-Smith? Who is this guy? You know, like I mean, Cardinals not Finney-Smith, but like he is. In what way? Uh, Please explain. That. A, <laughs> don't even. And uh, but like, I mean, he was a fan favorite, and I don't know. I mean, you just have to think that Carlisle is just trying to get something else going, a different body in there, different face, just to give, I don't know, just a different type of vibe to kind of shake and shake things up a little bit. To me, I don't know if it was a different vibe. In the NFL, and this is my second NFL reference in two podcasts, so I apologize that, to people. That's that, true. To people that hate the NFL, but in the NFL. You either want your backup quarterback to be 
a completely different look than your starting quarterback, or you want it to be a clone of your back of your starting quarterback in as much ways as possible. Now, obviously, they're not going to be as good as your starting quarterback at all. There's you know no chance. The discre- the disparity between starting quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks in the NFL is bigger than probably any position in any sport. It's just it's amazing because we still can't find 32 humans that can play NFL quarterback at a, at, you know, a high level. We just can't. <laughs> you know somehow we just can't find that many humans that can do it. It's like pod racing. <laughs> you just cannot cannot find that many humans that pod can do it. Pod racing? Really? Yeah, there's only one human in the galaxy, apparently, that could do it. They just couldn't find enough humans. Brian Cardinal was like the backup quarterback to Dirk, where he could, you know, he could hit some jumpers, <laughs> a big, you know, slower body that knew where he had to be. And maybe that's what they wanted to do. They just wanted to kind of throw, be able to use the offense sort of the same way. Maybe they wanted to do something like that. Maybe Cardinal was the, the – Terrible backup quarterback to Dirk's starting quarterback. Maybe he was the reason it's my that theory. got the team the team excited for the big run. And maybe that's what got him excited. And if it did, then Carlisle's a genius. He and is. it worked. <laughs> because, you know, the Heat sort of started, you know, running up the score. It was a 69-61. Wade's at the free throw line. They're, you know, chanting MVP, MVP, MVP for Wade. Which is always weird when you have two guys that you know probably should win the MVP on your team, and you chant for one of them. Do you chant for both? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, do they chant for LeBron? No, they they didn't. So at one point in the second quarter, Dallas was up nine. Towards the end of the second quarter, they're up nine, and you know towards the end of the third, now Miami is up ten. So a nineteen point swing between the end of the second and then towards now the end of the third. And Joel Anthony had hu- two huge blocks on Marion and Dirk. And then he does that, they hit those blocks, and then the camera cuts during a, during like a timeout or a stoppage of play, and Steve Nash is texting <laughs> on his phone and sitting there. And that was just really funny. Uh, but then the comeback, the comeback starts. Man, it was like eight minutes left in the fourth. Or it was like seven minutes and something exactly. Yeah. Down by 15. It's 88 to 73. And at this point, like... I wrote, there's zero chance. There is zero chance the Mavericks win this series. Not just this game, but this series. It just seems like there was no chance. They were just rolling. I mean, Miami had, they shown no sign of stopping. And Wade, Wade, you know, he finished the game with what, 34, 36? He had 30 with with eight minutes and 57 left to go in the game. Which, so like, Wade was on it. He was dominating. Yeah, Wade was on it, dominating. And a couple things happened. He he got this shot in the in the corner in front of the Mavericks bench, and it was a three. He hit it. You know that put him up eighty eight to seventy three, and he kind of he held it out, and he held it out in front of Dallas's bench, and that pissed some people off. And yeah. Tyson even said he said everybody got angry, and Jason Terry talked about it and said you know it just made him mad. Dallas called a timeout short time after that, and they came over, and you know that was this was the moment. This was the moment that shifted that a lot of people say you know afterwards like this is what won the series for Dallas because yeah. it was their time. You're down by 15, eight minutes to go in the game. Do you want it, and do you want it bad enough? And not only that, but Dirk, you know, take us home and let's come back. Let's let's prove everybody wrong. And man, what 
like I can't I I'll never forget this whole run. Like going back and watching it, it's just beautiful. Like I <laughs> I watched it again this evening as soon as I got home from work and it it literally gave me cold chills. And I almost tweeted about it, but it just gave me cold chills whenever that last, you know, because you kind of go in this, you know, this sequence and you know, Dallas chip keeps on chipping away. Jason Terry finally hit a few shots and yeah, kid hit a three and Dirk hit some shots and but it it gets to that point to where it's you know it's like 26 seconds left i think and dirk hits this three and it you know they tie it up but dirk hits the three to put him up by three and you're like oh my gosh yeah there's, like, there's 20 there's 57 <laughs> seconds left dallas had been on a 17 to 2 run in the last five minutes of that, of that game you know they're tied 57 seconds left Wade misses, you know, and it goes back to what I said earlier. The you know, Wade tried this ridiculous shot and it didn't work. Eventually, it just caught up to him that they weren't going to hit all these shots forever. Dirk nails this three, and uh, they're on a twenty to two run now. And I just, I just wrote in all caps, and you're going to love this. I wrote, "Where is LeBron James?" Because he was just, what I'm talking about. He was gone. He, he just wasn't there. It was the collapse of LeBron, like you know, like we've heard forever since the series had happened. And the, and the thing, the crazy thing is, Miami went away from Wade and put the ball in LeBron's hands. And there's there's different times in that run. I mean, he missed a layup, he missed a you know, you know just a mid range jumper, and he basically stopped driving. And that's what Dallas challenged him to do, and he, he fell victim to it. He missed two threes, and it's just like they they got in his head. I mean, and so you know, twenty six seconds left, Dirk hits that three. And you're like, Dallas is up. And then freaking Miami has that inbounds play, man. And, you know, if you're Dallas, you played it right. If you're going to leave somebody open, you're going to leave Chalmers open. And they, But they left him wide open. Yeah. Rio in the corner alone. Mario Chalmers in, in the corner alone to tie the game. Jet had completely lost his man. He tried to help on Wade. He, you know, switched off his man to try to help on Wade. And then it looked like maybe Kid was supposed to switch over to Chalmers when that happened, when that action happened. And maybe he was supposed to do that, but to switch over to, to Mario Chalmers in the corner, but it didn't happen. And then you're like, man, what, whose fault was that? What happened? You know, maybe that was a, a switching issue. Maybe that was just lack of communication. And then they cut to Jet on the bench, and you could just tell that was his fault. You could just tell that that, that was his man, you know, by the way just his face was. And uh, just, you know, how he was carrying himself on the bench, just flopped on the bench, was just frustrated as, as all get out. Um, and they yeah. came to play. Man, this was quite the the comeback here. So the game is tied now. He You know, he hits it, tied at 93 with 24 seconds left, timeout Dallas. And then. Yeah, I mean, they, they dropped the play. I mean, you know, it really isn't a play drawn up. I mean, you pretty much know it's going to, they're going to get the ball to Dirk. And the really the the only question is how much time are they going to, you know, is he going to try to get the shot off? And, you know, I'm just, I'm playing it all through my head right now. They give it to Dirk at the top of the key and they got Chris Bosh on him. And Dirk kind of, you know, turns around, puts his, you know, kind of butt to, to him and kind of does this like kind of spin. And as he's spinning, he has the slight hesitation because when Dirk's coming off of that spin, he's normally going to, you know, go back for his one foot shot. And that's going to be the classic Dirk, and he gives that that slight hesitation, and it gets Bosch just a tad, and Dirk, you know, just puts on the accelerator, and for what Dirk's is, and drives in. LeBron's on his left, you know, Bosch is catching up on his right. 
He drives in with the left hand. Haslam comes over, and Dirk, being seven feet, just lays in this perfect left-handed layup right over Haslam's arms. And I just, I remember just going absolutely <laughs> bazonkers in my living room. And it's just that's what a lot of the the favorite finals moment that we're doing on iTunes. If you go to iTunes. Leave a five star review and uh, let us know your favorite moment. We'll read them at the you know the game six pod at the end of this, and uh, that's what a lot of people's memories have been so far. Is this comeback right here? Yeah, and that's you know when we talked about this before. When I think about this series, there's a bunch of random stuff that comes to my head, but there's two moments, and it's just it's it's this play, this left handed layup. And it's when Dirk jumps over the score scoreboard after yeah. they, you know, or the scores table after score, they, the, the score, score <laughs> <laughs> after they won it all, and he was just like emotional and crap. But, but yeah, I mean, he 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 scores that with three point six seconds left. Um, we all lost our hearts whenever Wade puts up the three, and oh. you know, he misses it, and you're just like, <gasps> oh. And the and I, the, the, the Mavericks had allowed the Heat. So many times at the buzzer to throw out shots to to get off shots like just it seemed like every end of quarter every end of half every end of game they were allowing them to get these running three point shots and a couple times they hit them and this was another one where it's just like Wade gets this running three that you're like wait well, holy crap how did they let this guy get this three off yeah and it was it scared me but you know he missed it and then it just soaked in and you're like. They really pulled it off. Yeah. They really just came back from 15 down and beat this Heat team in Miami down 0-1. Like, I mean, Miami had had them with the foot on their neck. I mean, that was yeah. to go up 2-0 in that series, that would have just been crazy. And the, the momentum shifted, and they were going back to Dallas then. And, <clears throat> you, you know, we bring up LeBron, and LeBron is – and I'm saying this in the most like you know professional way I can. I said you know like <laughs> that he is supposed to be that man. And in the final eight minutes during this run, he had two points, two free throws. Yep. And you're like, where did you go? And and on I had this the, what? And on that final, so on that final play, LeBron, I wanted to mention this about LeBron too. So Marion is the inbounder. He inbounds the kid. Mario Chalmers is on kid. LeBron is on jet. <laughs> which is just crazy like just the difference in you know just body type looking at them jet is like this you know small and you know and like slender guard and lebron is just this you know carl malone sized like monster player he's on jet wade is on marion haslam is on tyson chandler and then bosch is on dirk and this is how the play turned out and it's going to go back to your lebron point kid holds the ball for 12 seconds i counted i counted it yeah. he holds it there for 12 seconds before jet sets this you know pretty lazy down screen for dirk dirk gets the ball at the top of the key he swipes through and he begins his back down you know that that patented dirk kind of backs it up at the you know the top of the key backs him down bosch commits left dirk spins over his right shoulder haslam was laid on his help and then lebron was on was in the close corner so he so dirk spins over his right shoulder he's going on the left side of the lane and LeBron is in that corner over there on, on the left side. If you're looking at the basket, he's on the left side guarding guarding Jet. And he didn't help from the corner. He just sat there and stared. And that's we have to remember that LeBron had not won a title at that point. LeBron had been the only, you know, championship experience he had was at, in high school <laughs> or being swept by the Spurs. That was, you know, that's the only championship experience he had. 
And so, and Wade had been, you know, Wade had already won the title. So when you're seeing, you know, we're talking about how Wade was incredible in these, you know, first two games and in the series, he had already been there. He had already been, had that experience. He sort of had, you know, uh, when I talked to to Sean Stevenson yesterday, I asked him, I said, when you win a title, is there like sort of a sigh of relief? And he's like, he's like, yeah, there is. And then he talked about, you know, what he was upset about the next season, (laughs) but just like, there's this sort of tension that's relieved because you did it. Like you went over the hump. And uh, LeBron did not help on that final play. And if LeBron had helped, you know, LeBron could have, from where he was standing in the corner, LeBron could have jumped off both feet and he could have blocked that shot. Because LeBron was 25 years old and just an insane athlete. Maybe he was tired at that point. But just to not even go over and help at all. just You know who else was tired? Dirk. (laughs) Dirk was tired. He talked with with Doris Burke after the game. And... uh, and the only thing he wanted to talk about was defense, which I thought was just so Dirk. And he shot that left-handed layup with the finger that, you know. He had with the finger. And Dirk scored the last nine points for the Mavericks in that game. Just absolutely and, insane. And he contested that last three that Wade shot. Hmm. I forgot about that. He was that. the only one that contested it. <laughs> but I have a Tom Haberstroh stat for you from ESPN. Whoa, hold on. You have a stat? I, I do. <laughs> okay, go for it. But it's about somebody. So um, this is actually this is after game five, um, but it applies to this game because we're talking about LeBron and his crunch time absence. Yeah. And he says perhaps the most startling of all is LeBron James's crunch time absence in a series that has seen all five all five games decided late. He said when the score has been within five points in the last five minutes. James has yet to score in the series, missing all seven shots. And this is through five games. Five games. Yeah, so this is in the Those, future. The future from where we are, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about this is, yeah. It still applies to the to this game as well. It applies to this game because he choked it in this game. So LeBron, in those you know last five minutes, within five points, he has missed all seven of his shots, didn't score all, all series you know, up to that point. Contrast that to Dirk in this series. Dirk had 26 crunch time points Jeez. on 8 for 13 of shooting, not to mention the 34-point difference in plus-minus. Gosh. So compare that. Say what you want about plus-minus. In, in a single game, it matters. <laughs> like, LeBron, like through five finals games in that series, scored zero points and missed all seven of his shots. In those last five minutes, and then he only took points. seven shots. Was crazy yeah. too. And Dirk, on the other hand, scored twenty six in that same, in those same time frame and shot eight for thirteen with a thirty four point difference in plus minus. That just it's those types of performances that you look at, and I just can't. I remember these performances so vividly, and when we're talk when you talk about all time debate stuff. It just has to factor into something for me. Like it, that has to, that this series for LeBron's all time sets, and it's not being just totally like realistic with it. Like LeBron's a top 10 player of all time, probably top five, but like top three, maybe. But like when it yeah. comes to the mantle of the greatest player of all time, I just can't give somebody that mantle when we see a final series like this one. That he was just not there. Like, I mean, he put up good point, you know, good, you know, good stat lines, but for the most part. But 
still like not in when it comes down crunch like i want my greatest of all time player yeah to be closing out finals games and he didn't do this all series i'll push back on that a little bit in saying that lebron was so good he dragged you know that cleveland team to the to the finals and was way overmatched i mean he was let's see if he was 25 in 2011 in 2007 when that series was he would have been what what is that? he would have been 21 Good lord. Yeah. Good lord. So he's he's overmatched in that game. And now he's 20 you know 2011 he's 25 and so he had not that's not that's just entering your prime at that point as an There's NBA no player. excuse there's no it, excuse for LeBron in this series or the San Antonio series in 2014. Those two series you can't there's no excuse for LeBron's in those series. No. He hadn't exactly entered his basketball like IQ maturity yet to me. Where he knows yeah. like, what his role is to take over games and you know and do that kind of stuff. To me, if I'm, I was going to push back a little bit on that at all, it would be in that regard to say, well, he was he was just so good that he went to the finals basically before he was ready. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But how are but, we ever going to know that? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, we obviously can... he wasn't ready, but is that a good enough yeah. reason? So. Dirk was awesome. LeBron was not awesome. That's a great way to end this. And then we will uh, let's hear from Chuck Cooperstein, the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best selling LED light bulbs. Our four pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Now we have joining us on the podcast, the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, Chuck Cooperstein. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you having me. All right, so from what I understand, in 2006 in the for the finals, you didn't do a broadcast for that, but you did do the broadcast for 2011. Is that correct? Correct. I did the, the pre and post in 2006. Right, right. Okay, so the difference between those two finals, uh, in 2006 it seemed like you know the team was, was obviously super happy to be there. It was the first time you know the Mavericks had ever been in the finals. And then there was a little bit of you know, trepidation going into 2011. Uh, what was the, you know, what's the difference from, you know, when you're covering the game to, you know, going into that game in, in 2011 and just the, you know, people have already kind of been there, you know, and it was against the same team as well. Well, I mean, I don't think in 2006, it was a matter of being happy to be there. They expected to win and, and, and really expected to win when they were up two nothing and then up by uh, 13 points with six and a half minutes to go in game three. I mean, they, they thought they were going to sweep Miami. They, they had, uh, you know, they had been on a very long winning streak uh, against Miami, you know, in regular season play and uh, had dominated them. And uh, th- there was no reason to think that they weren't going to win that series. Uh, you know, in 2011, uh, you know, I, you know, maybe it's just the fact that I was around this team all year long, but, you know, people forget they got off to a 24 and five start. Uh, that in January, when they had a six-game losing streak, that uh, that Dirk and Tyson Chandler were out of the lineup together for a, a fairly significant chunk of that. Uh, you know, that was a 63 or 64 win team. I mean, that was a great team. That was a that was an ad, that was a fantastic team, and I, I think their their greatness has been vastly 
underrated. Uh, certainly, as history has, has gone on here, and so people somehow looked at this as this monumental upset, <laughs> which I, I just never thought it would be. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I didn't know that they were going to win the series. Uh, you know, I thought it was going to be a really competitive series because Miami had great players. But I mean, the, the fact that somehow people thought outside, maybe of Dallas Fort Worth, and even for that matter, some inside it believe that the Mavericks had little to no chance to win the series was was preposterous to me. Yeah, you just look at those three players, you know, Wade, Bosch, and LeBron all coming together, and then you see that they won two titles after that. And I think looking back, it may seem more of a, you know, bigger upset than it really was. And then you look at the Mavericks team and you're like, man, they only you know only had Dirk as their only real all-star on the team and you know, people look back at it and some people call it the last honest championship because, you know, they didn't throw a super team together and things like that. What would you say to people that say that? Well, I mean, certainly the, the game has changed in that regard. Isn't an honest champion, the, the last honest championship? No. I mean, look, you no know, teams, teams make moves all the time. Players have the right to play with whom they want to play with. Um, I, I, I don't look at it as, you know, honest versus dishonest. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a fact of life in the NBA that this was the team that the Mavericks put together. Um, you know, they, they had some players who, uh, on some levels, maybe played uh, above their capabilities. But again, you know, it was the essence of a team. Uh, now, the fact that you had, you know, the Miami team, I mean, I think even San Antonio's 2014 team, that was a pretty honest team. I mean, that was yeah. a team that was put together on its own. Uh, you know, they should have won the year before, too, you know, if not for uh, Ray Allen's uh, shot in game six and some sketchy coaching by Coach Pop uh, in game six. Uh, they, they were going to win back-to-back championships. I think they were a pretty honest lot about it. I mean, this is, it's, a, it's again, it's, you know, people not being able to take a step back and just uh, sort of looking in the moment as opposed to uh, really taking a, a bigger picture of what's going on. Yeah, so the, the Mavericks were a little bit better team than maybe we remember. Uh, but those first two games, <laughs> game one and then down, you know, 15 or 20 points in game two, it just, I mean, watching it on TV, I wasn't there, but just seeing that team play, it just seemed impossible. And that, that to me, I think also maybe added to the, you know, the lore of this, you know, the comeback and that it was such a big, you know, upset. But how impossible did it seem to beat this team when you're, you know, in game two down 15 points? Well, it certainly didn't seem likely <laughs> by, by any stretch. But, uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, Dirk took over the game. At that point, and uh, you know, he made some made some incredible shots, and there was some fantastic defense played uh, by Jason Kidd, uh, in particular. Uh, you know, and, and Tyson Chandler's ability to defend the rim, you know, that allowed them to you know to make the run that they made. I mean, it's one thing to be able to score, but you got to be able to stop them too. And and, and the Mavericks, you know, were a uh, you know again they, they weren't an, an elite defensive team, but they were they were a top ten defensive team in the league that year. Uh, so, you know, they were able to, and that's true of basketball generally. I mean, you've got to be able to make stops when they matter most. And, you know, once Dwayne Wade hit that shot and sort of looked over at the Maverick bench, and, uh, I think that kind of got the Mavericks, uh, ire up enough to really dig down deep and, and, uh, and make, uh, make the plays that they needed to make at both ends of the floor. And ultimately, uh, you know, obviously the Dirk, the Dirk drive and finish with three seconds to go against Bosch and just how quickly he got that up on the board was, was fantastic. 
And uh, But I will say that when Dwayne Wade let that shot go from just behind half court, it looked good. It yeah. looked really good. And that would have been devastating, obviously, if he was able to make that shot. What's that moment like as a broadcaster? Both the uh, the iconic Dirk, you know, turn around and drive to the basket and lay up, and then that that Dwayne Wade, you know, it's like the highs and the you know the lows of it. What is that like as a broadcaster? Well, it, I mean, it wasn't well. It was a high and a high because he missed. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he if he had made it, it would have been absolutely devastating. But you know, you're you're in the moment, and ultimately, as a broadcaster, you're first and foremost a reporter. Right. And, and you're reporting what happens. But uh, I'm sure that had Wade made that shot, uh, the uh, the octave of my voice would have been much different. <laughs> my reaction would have been much different. Yeah. You know, and as it was, kind of like when Kobe missed uh, the three-pointer over Jason Kidd at the top of the arc in game one of that series when the Mavericks came from 16 down to win, uh, the fact that uh, he did miss – no, it led to a, a pretty emotionally excited reaction uh, that the Mavericks were in the series. It's interesting you say that, you know, as a broadcaster, you're first and foremost a reporter because, you know, as a blogger, now, you know, podcaster and things, I'm trying to, you know, balance between covering a team and, you know, being in the locker room and talking to guys and trying to be, you know, sort of unbiased, but I'm also there with them you know, all the time. And then, uh, you know, covering the team being, you know, I am not from here, but, you know, being a fan of the team from afar, uh, how do you, especially in the finals, when you've been around this team for so long, you're with them all the time, how do you not almost root for them, and how do you stay you know, unbiased in that moment? Well, no, no one will ever listen to my broadcast and not believe that uh, you know, that I don't want the Mavericks to win. I mean, obviously, yeah. I want them to win. It, it, it makes everybody's life a whole lot better <laughs> when they do win. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I've always taken the approach uh, – that uh, and the voice of the Cowboys taught me uh, that you will do an objective broadcast from, in my case, the Mavericks' point of view. Uh, you know, you are not going to just make believe that the opponents are the Washington Generals. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is the NBA, and and they're way too good, and they deserve you know way too much respect. Uh, but at the same time, you know, most of the stuff that uh, I'm talking about during the broadcast is, uh, you know, is, is generated toward the Mavericks and most of the notes are generated toward the Mavericks, but the other side is certainly not ignored. And, and when they, and when somebody makes a great play, it's not uh, for the other team. It's not just because, well, the Maverick guy didn't do his job. Maybe the other guy just made a great play and you've got to be able to acknowledge that. Uh, but there's no question, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting there, who I want to win. I mean, clearly, I, I want, I really hope the Mavericks win every game they play. I know that's not a reality, but uh, I, I always go in into the night believing that uh, you know, on some level, there is always hope that they will win that game, and that's and that's how I'm trying to bring it across, and especially in the finals when you know that the team is actually good. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling me that there are other players that are good at basketball besides Dirk. It just doesn't seem. Yeah, I, I am. I think the, the the NBA has 450 of the best players in the world, yeah. and, and occasionally they might actually make a really good play. Yeah, uh, it's been a while, you know, since we've been up. I mean, I guess it seems like a while. It just seems so long since this happened. Uh, that the Mavericks have been down. Do you think that it'll, you know, the Mavericks will will pick back up? I guess I want to. I don't want to say in our lifetime. That sounds so. <laughs> that sounds so like. Uh, they uh, so down on them, but do you think that they'll end up back on the you know on the title hopes? 
I think if uh, you know if Dennis Smith becomes the player he looks like he can be, uh, you know if Harrison Barnes takes uh, another step forward, uh, if uh, you know in the upcoming draft, regardless of where they draft, that they find another really good player, uh, you know that the that the trades that they make are ones that they'll ultimately fill spots that help them be better. Then of course there's the chance that the, that they'll they'll get back to where they were. Now, you know, look, the fact that they drafted Dirk and, uh, you know, he turned out to be who he uh, has been, you know, led to, you know, something, I don't want to, it wasn't unprecedented because it's not the longest streak in NBA history, but man, they won 50 games or more, 11 consecutive years. I mean, that that is really hard to do. And I I think people are incredibly spoiled because of that, uh, that they expect that every year. Uh, and now that, you know, it, Dirk's on the downside of his career and the Mavericks are coming off the type of season that they had last year, that, uh, you know, I, I guess people are, are justifiably wondering, uh, you know, where they're going to find their next Dirk. But you know what? When Dirk was drafted in, in the summer of 1998, nobody was saying that about Dirk. And the Mavericks were in the midst of having the worst decade of any professional sports <laughs> franchise in North America. And they lost over 500 games in a in a 10 year span from 1990 to 1999. So you know it's, I who knows where it's going to come from, but it is it seems like the team has you know understood that you know it's time to change course and change their approach, and uh, it seems to me that they've done a pretty good job of that. Now, how does that reflect itself? This year, when the West is as loaded as it is, I mean, look, the Mavericks could be significantly better this year than they were last year and yet not have a whole lot more to show for it. Uh, but that's just the nature of the beast, and it, it makes them have to grind though, that much harder to try to find the right combination of players and coaches, style and, and drafting and everything that will allow them to be a great team again. Yeah, and it just makes championships so much more special just to see, you know, what all goes into it and everything that has to go right in order to, you know, get first of all, get there and then to, you know, to win. And, uh, man, to look back and, you know, I obviously don't remember a ton about Dirk's early career, but the uh, to, to see from that all the way to the, you know, the fever game, which some people look back and be like, man, that was when you – you know, he gave his all and, you know, just embodied Dirk as a player. It's just, it's incredible to me to look back and see how much he's given to this franchise. Um, but just tell me about, you know, the Dirk fever game. You were there, you, you know, probably talked to him afterwards. You know, what was it like for him and how did he, you know, what was his reaction after the game? Well, you know, the thing was, uh, nobody, we, we, I was not told uh, that he had, uh, that he had the 101 fever. Uh, until actually I, I heard, uh, I heard about it, uh, like in, in the second quarter of the game that the, you know, that I guess Doris Burke had made mention right. of that, uh, you know, the, the Mavericks are notorious for keeping illness and an injury as quiet as they possibly can. And, you know, especially when you're in a, when a final situation where you just don't want to, uh, let out any information that might be used against you. Uh, by the opponent. So I, I didn't know uh, exactly what was going on uh, in that game. But, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, he did uh, do that and, and that the games were so physical uh, and, and they were low scoring and every possession was just monumental. Uh, the fact that uh, he, you know, with, with a body that wasn't quite right, 
was able to do what he did was was you know tremendous. And again, uh, you know, at the end against uh, Udonis Haslam this time, a guy who had, had probably has played had played Dirk as well as anyone, mm. uh, not not just in that series, but you know over the preceding years. Uh, the, the fact that he you know, made the move that he made again, getting it up on the board as fast as he did, because really he didn't get much of an advantage on him. He maybe had maybe a half step, uh, but uh, you know, the fact that it kind of went low on the board and then crawled over the rim to go in. Uh, I mean, that, that was just an incredible play. Uh, and, and that, uh, you know, that he being you know, it, it, as ill as he was, uh, but knowing how much his team needed him to make that play for him to be able to dig down as deep as he did. Again, you know, this was nothing that we hadn't seen on a regular basis from him, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, was, it was funny because it's almost like Dirk became a 13 year overnight sensation uh, <laughs> by, yeah. by playing the way he played. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, oh, wow, this guy's really good. Well, yeah, he is. Not only is he really good, he's one of the greatest to ever play in this league. <laughs> Uh, and thanks for noticing, guys. You know, we're, yeah, right. we're glad you, you know, come, come along for the ride with us. Yeah, it just seemed like everybody woke up to, to Dirk. And that's, you know, that's actually one of the more special things about, you know, loving a team in a city is that you, you know, you kind of grow up with these guys and you see them, you know, and you get to appreciate them to a degree. And then when they're on that national stage, then, you know, everybody else, you can kind of point to him and be like, see, see, I knew, like, you know, I knew that guy was, was that special from now, you know, from for forever. And then, you know, people start calling, you know, shots and things uh i want to ask you though about the plane uh were you you were riding on the you know the plane going to and from miami correct right what was that what was that like especially you know they're they're down they're you know it's physical series going back and forth it was a veteran team you know what is what is the plane ride like when you're you know you're down and you're you're i guess it was was tied one one and you're going back to to dallas well the plane you know the plane ride generally is uh I mean, it, it's the same every time, win or lose. Uh, it, there, now, you know, there, it was a little different when we when the Mavericks won the Western Conference Finals in 2006. We had a flyby over Love Field when when we came back that night at about two o'clock in the morning, and that there were people gathered at Love Field. It was really cool. And obviously, when when the Mavericks won the championship and uh, they came home the following morning, and the, the, the crowd was there at Love Field, and the, you know, it was just total bedlam. But generally speaking, the, the plane rides themselves, and especially in that situation, it's really pretty normal. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. players are in the front of the plane, uh, staffs in the middle of the plane, uh, iguanas like me are in the back of the plane, uh, and uh, you know, and we're 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 kind of just doing our thing. It, it's 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 really rare that you know things get you know raucous or things are morose or or anything like that. It's just you know, and maybe that would surprise people, but uh, it's it's really pretty normal. I mean, guys are some guys are playing cards, some guys are sleeping, uh, coaches are looking at tape. I mean, it's pretty much what they do. You know, I'm working to try to get ready for the next game. That's that that's pretty much the deal. It's business, business as usual, and trying to you know, with a veteran team, maybe you you think that it would be like that. You know, that they try not to get too high, not to get too low, and just kind of stay even keeled. Maybe that's why they were able to you know, pull off those comebacks and able to, you know, stick in those games, just that, you know, mental resolve. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's what coaches preach. Players don't always follow it, <laughs> but coaches always talk about it. And yeah, that, that team certainly did in the fact too, that uh, after game two, that game was on a Thursday night. So they knew they weren't playing again until Sunday. 
know, so there really was time to sort of, uh, you know, come back down from the euphoria of, of winning that game and, uh, and knowing that you had to, you know, go, you knew you were going to have the next three games at home, but uh, also knowing how difficult it is to sweep those three games at home so that you don't have to go back to Miami. And obviously that was proven to be the case uh, because the Mavericks lost game three. Yeah. Uh, the energy in the AAC, what was it like? Has there, have you ever seen anything like that? Was that, you know, was it as, as high as it was in 2006 or was it, you know, higher? What was the, what was the energy like in the arena? Well, I think it's sort of built as the three games went on. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the first two games in 2006, I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty electric and the Mavericks won those games pretty easily. Um, you know, so there's not like there was any tension. I mean, all three games in, in Dallas had incredible tension attached to them. I mean, yeah. the, the games were, were so close. Uh, you know, Chris Bosh hits a shot to win game three, and we know what happened in games four and five. But, you know, there was nothing to be, uh, you know, there, there, was, there, was no, there, was, there was no relaxation at all. So, I mean, you could definitely feel the tension in the building. Uh, I will say in game, game five was just – it was so different from any of the, the previous four games been played in the series because that game was a really offensive game. I mean, the, the, the Mavericks had begun to figure out Miami's trapping defense. That the, the first few games of that series, Miami's defense, especially on the perimeter, had just taken the Mavericks out of everything really that they wanted to do. Yeah. And, and you saw that uh, in, in their point totals. I mean, what, there was 94 in game one. It was 95, I believe, in game two. And it was 86 in game three. And, and it was 86 again in game four, even though you know, the, the Mavericks had put J.J. Barea in the lineup. And they began to move the ball better, and they got better shots, even though they didn't make those shots. But all of that changed in game five. And the game five was a wild game. I mean, it's just the, the execution on both sides was amazing. And then, obviously, you know, the Mavericks, led by Jason Terry, hit some incredible shots coming down the stretch, including the one over LeBron from the hash mark that was just Oof. patently absurd. Uh, you know, and when, when he hit that shot, uh, I was afraid that the roof just might get it. <laughs> it, it was incredibly loud. And, and really, since then, the only time that you really had you know, that well, there were two times that you really had that buzz in the building. Uh, when Vince Carter hit the shot, uh, to win game three against the Spurs in 2014. Yeah. And when Dirk passed 30,000 this year. And yeah. as when Dirk was going off in the first quarter against the Lakers, I, you know, people were just going nuts. Well, they, they, we've seen this from him before, but we hadn't seen anything like that in a really long time. And, and when he did it, yeah, that, that was really special. But that's what, what game five was like. Now, game five was just a complete bonkers in that building and especially at the end when they were able to win and knowing that they only needed to win one out of the last two in order to win the series i think if there was any structural damage to the aac due to game five in the crowd i think mark cuban would have fit the bill i think he would I think he would have been okay with that i uh, think so too <laughs> chuck cooperstein thanks so much for joining us on locked on mavs and i uh, hope to hear from you again all right nick thanks a lot appreciate it